coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast. You guys know the drill. I'm Tyler and back with me today, at least for... Well, you'll be back throughout the, the regular uh, off-season slate, but I think this is our you're probably the last show if you went to law school. Is that right, Kurt? Yep, that is correct. Ah, dude. Have you enjoyed it at least a little bit? Well, it's been like two, uh, three weeks. As much as possible. Yeah, but always in the back of your mind, you knew it was coming. You knew this moment yeah, was exactly. coming. But, uh, but we're glad to have you back for at least one more show to wrap up the 2019 season. Again, like this is not like you're going anywhere. You'll still be back around, but I just know law school – uh it's fun right uh if, if that's how you, if that's what you want to say i guess in, in a couple of years it'll have been worth it but not right now for sure i i, I get all that but um uh, it was a heck of a couple of days in the big easy in new orleans uh there were definitely i would say not as many georgia fans that made the trip this year but like we were still very well represented in new orleans still a great time we had some great food fun stuff going on got to watch our dogs finish off the 2019 season in style with a 26-14 win over a top-10 Baylor team. I know it's Baylor. Traditionally, they're like an afterthought program, but this version of Baylor was a top-10 team. Only lost twice on the season, and both those games were to the same opponent, to Oklahoma. And so now with that win over a top-10 Baylor team, Kirby Smart's record against top-10 teams has now been pushed to 8-4. So uh, I know this is not where we all wanted to be back in uh, in August when we were kicking off this season, but uh, I guess all things considered, with some of the issues we had offensively, honestly, it's kind of borderline miraculous to get to uh, what was it, eleven wins, Kurt, with uh, with some of the issues we've had offensively. So it, I know again, not where we want to be, but it's still a nice way to end the 2019 season and kind of push us into 2020. But Kurt, I want to start with this in the college football playoff era. It's kind of like every like the playoffs are great. I, we all love the playoffs. At least I think most people do. But it's kind of created this situation where every other bowl game, even like the New Year Six, the Sugar Bowl, the Rose Bowl, the the Cotton, the uh, uh, the Orange Bowl, like yeah, those are bigger bowl games compared to the other ones. But they're still like afterthoughts in a lot of ways nowadays with the playoffs. You know, attendance is down at these games. I mean, I know they announced like I think they announced like a fifty-four thousand people at the, at the Superdome last night. I'm telling you guys, I was in attendance there. I I mean, I'm I'm really terrible at estimating how many people are in stadiums but i feel pretty confident saying the, the superdome whole thing was like se- like 75 ish thousand people there's no way in hell there were fifty four thousand people there. there's just no way but attendance is down the buzz about these non-playoff games is down because the playoffs I mean, understandably they drive the conversation but I, I said on the show last week that despite all of that this was still a big game for us and this was one that we needed to win i felt pretty strongly about that but i want to get your take curtis like, how big was it for us to get this Sugar Bowl win over, over Baylor? Or am I, I kind of just overreacting to one game? No, I think one it was game. huge, especially after last year's non-showing. Um, I think we needed a good showing. Because um, a lot of the things right now is you're hearing, you know, talk about how Oklahoma lost big to um, um, to LSU. And the thing is, you know, now do they even belong in these big games because they don't show up, they don't compete? And so I think that was kind of the narrative, too. Like, you know, we didn't show up interested last year. Is that going to be the narrative for us again? It's all about perception, right? Yeah. And, and you can say, well, perception doesn't really matter. What happens on the field matters. Uh, yeah, and I, it does. But what happens on the field drives perception. And, and 
college football, in a lot of ways, guys, is even with the college football playoff, is still very much a beauty contest to get into the final four. Like you have, you have to put on a show, right? Like, like the 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 committee members that select the teams for the college football playoff. They are human beings, okay? And they can say they have integrity. I'm not trying to attack their integrity or anything like that, but they are humans. There's a human element, and humans are influenced by perception. No matter how much you try not to be, you absolutely are. There's just like, why is the Pac 12 been left out every year except for one year? Because the perception, they've had decent teams out west, but the perception is they just don't play the same brand of football. Uh, it, it drives a lot of things. It also drives recruiting. We all know that to, to take that next step and actually win national title, guys, it's all about players. We The, the issue we had this year, we had everything we needed defensively. We didn't have enough playmakers on offense. That's just the bottom line. We, and if we're going to take the next step, we've got to upgrade the talent, which we're doing, but that's about perception. When you're, when you're trying to sell your program to 17, 18-year-old dudes, guys, I'm telling you, I work with these kind of kids. The, it's all about perception. They are they are definitely influenced by that kind of stuff. And like you said, Kurt, if we lose another game like this, going to another entire offseason, I'll talk about how Georgia can't win the big one. Uh, Georgia chokes, Georgia this, Georgia that, Kirby Smart, is it really that good? Is Kirby Smart all that different than Mark Rick? All that kind of stuff. Another offseason, that, what that does is it just further kind of builds – I'm not saying that we people don't associate this as a very good program, but it's, it starts to raise those questions. And those are the questions you don't want to be raised about your program. You want to go with momentum. You want to have positive conversation about your program. You have positive momentum. And you want to have that perception at, at an all-time high. I'm not saying we're at an all-time high right now, but you want the perception of your program to be that this is a program that's still a major contender for national titles. You don't want those questions. And I think winning this game did all those things it helped us in all those ways so yeah i think this absolutely was a big game uh, and i, I want to say I, i'm really proud of this team like her like how proud of you were how proud of this team were you based on how they responded well, what would it end up being was it 13 15 however many p- players that didn't play in this game i mean i was really proud i mean the biggest thing is like i said uh you, we didn't have a lot of our stars and we went with some guys and, and you know even though like some of our replacements are all four and five stars I think the thing that affected us the most was the fact that, I mean, when you really get down to it, uh, we just didn't have as much depth, and you saw it on defense. You know, our team was starting to get tired in there, and but yet they battled through, and they kind of responded every time Baylor tried to make a run or do whatever they could to try to get back in it. We kind of took control of the game. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm really, really, really proud of this team. And look, when you run a podcast like this, like part of the deal is you, you do have to be critical at times because you want to be as objective as possible. Uh, and and I, I hope it comes across like when we do when we are critical of some of our of our players, it's never malicious. I don't ever want it to seem that way. I, I don't like to like even I know Matt Landers is a guy who's had a tough year and, and we've been critical of Matt Landers. But I, I try and I, I know I'm guilty of it sometimes, but I try my best to like not be like malicious about it. I just try to, you know, just call it how I see it. Um, but I'm really proud of how these guys responded with all because like, they easily could have gone in the shell. I mean, like, you know what? All these guys are. Uh, they could listen to the outside noise. All these guys aren't playing, you know, all that, all this, you know, we're not going to have all these stars and all these guys that have been big time contributors for us all year long. And Baylor, I mean, let's be able, this was, I mean, I was telling somebody down there in New Orleans, this is like, arguably, I think you could say this is like, could this possibly be said this is the biggest game in Baylor football history, Kurt? That they've had a long time. Yeah. I mean, this, I think they said this was their first chance ever getting 12 wins. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, they had a lot to go in it and they didn't really have players sitting out like we did. I mean, they had zero players sitting out. Exactly. So you saw the best of what they had. I mean, yeah, I, I, that's what, that was my point. Like we were going to, we, I knew we were going to get their best shot. And I think we did get their best shot. We just have to be better than them. even with all those guys saying, I don't want to say that we were playing with a team full of backups. We saw a lot of our stars out there, but we had some key guys, whether it's Tyler Clark, 
and J.R. Reed on defense, obviously DeAndre Swift. What a warrior, DeAndre Swift. Just, just to tr- even try to go out there, because the AC joint, guys, that's a tough injury. It's very, very painful. And just to, to want to be there, to try to practice through it, want to be there with your teammates like that, and just to, to lead them, even in the game, you probably weren't going to be able to make a much of an impact. That just, That's a beautiful thing, man. Uh, but we had a lot of key guys out, and they had pretty much everyone back. And this was, I mean, really, like all the, like, I always say, like bowl games, you're trying to pick bowl games, you're trying to predict what's going to happen in a bowl game. You, like you have to factor motivation into it. The psychology of bowl season is a very real thing. And all the all the signs point to Baylor having the psychological edge in this game. They absolutely did. But I want to give credit to our players and to our coaches. Because Kirby and staff, rightfully so, got ripped last year for how we no-showed against Texas. And that very easily could have happened again this year. I'm not going to – and I'm going to have to say, like, I, I, I was at least a little bit concerned that that could happen again. But absolutely did not. Kirby handled it the right way. You and I talked about this a little bit, Kirby, about how Kirby uh, changed things up a little bit with how he approached this. I think we had 71 scholarship guys there. And uh, he basically only brought guys that were going to play. Uh, last year he just brought everybody. Even if you weren't going to play, you get to come. No, uh, it was a business trip, and we went out and got the job done. So I'm just really proud of this team, how they responded. They didn't listen to the noise. They blocked all that out. And uh, some guys like Matt, it was so good to see Matt Lynch. You and I were texting about this, Kurt. Like, just like, wasn't it great? I mean, I know we've been hard on Wasn't it great to see Matt Lynch get that touchdown catch? Oh, it was. I mean, you could just see the pure excitement in the kid's face. Yeah, and I tried to rewatch it at the airport and then uh, on the way home, driving home today. I wasn't driving. My wife was driving. I'm sitting there trying to watch it. Um, so I, I, I watched as much of it as I could. I'll give it another thorough watch uh, over the weekend on the big TV. But uh, it didn't really do justice on TV, on the TV copy of like how excited the team was and how excited Matt Landers was when he caught that, when he made that touchdown catch. Um, they they show a little bit on, on the TV copy, but uh, I guess once they cut to commercial and you see on the sideline, they, the players like almost like were like lifting him up. It was it was awesome to see. I was just really really happy for him, and I hope that this is something that can kind of help him gain some of the confidence that he needs to to maybe end up being a more of a contributor force. I still believe he can be. Uh, but yeah, I'm just really proud of this team, proud of this, this coaching staff, and um, this is the right way to end this season and launch us towards 2020. But uh, all right, Kurt, in terms of the game itself, let's let's move to the game and what happened on the field of play. What did you see in this game against Baylor as like the biggest keys to us getting this victory? Because we, we were, I mean, we're out, like we said, we're missing a lot of players, but we still found a way to overcome that in – and I would say win pretty comfortably against a good top 10 Baylor team. What were the keys to making that happen? To me, I think the biggest thing was just our offensive game plan. You know, we came out there uh, with a more conscious effort to try to get people open. And, uh, you know, we weren't just always running the straight in between the tackles. You know, we tried to run in between the tackles to start the game off. There wasn't as much success at that. So we they did a more conscious yeah, effort we- trying to get it out on the edge. Absolutely. Yeah, they you're right about that. That's one thing I noticed as well. Uh, we came out, we were trying because with Zeus, I mean, Zeus is not DeAndre Swift, right? He's not the guy in the open field that's going to make you miss and do that kind of stuff. He's a downhill physical guy right now uh, at this stage in his career. So it made sense you want to try to attack downhill to open the game. But Baylor realized that too. Matt Rule's a good coach. He's probably going to be in the NFL next year. Good coach, good staff, and good players. And so they started basically pinching towards the middle line of scrimmage. And they were uh, they were giving some issues there. So I, I want to give James Coley some credit. The offensive staff some credit here for making the in-game adjustments. One of the things we've always we, we used to criticize um, Chaney about was you know we I always felt like we had really good game plans coming to games with with Jim Chaney. But it was the in-game adjustments where once team kind of figured out what we were doing, I thought we kind of lacked there. Uh, but I want to give Coley credit for adjusting on the fly in-game there. And you're exactly right. We started to attack the perimeter a little bit more, and we had a lot more success there. Kind of be able, we were able to kind of mix things up and uh, just keep them off balance a little bit. So that that was beautiful. Uh, the second quarter was huge, though, right? Yeah, it was. That's where we really separated everything. 
I mean, that decided the game. I mean, I went back and crunched the numbers, and you know, guys can go back and, and double check me on this, but going back and crunching the numbers, uh, what I came out with is that we outgained Baylor 209 to 14 total yards in the second quarter and outscored them 16 to nothing. That's where the game was decided. I mean, that, there, there's just no doubt about it. We had a huge second quarter, um, and we took all the momentum into halftime. So uh, it, 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 we didn't capitalize on every opportunity. We got the flea flicker down inside the 10-yard line, but we were not able to punch, or it was at least inside the red zone, but we weren't able to punch it in for a touchdown. What did you make of the decision there, Kurt, on that? It was, a, I mean, really fourth and inches, like inside the 10-yard line, to not go for it after the flea flicker. Um, I just don't think Kirby trusted him. You could tell he's pissed if you watch a review of them coming off the field. After that third down play, you know, he drops an expletive, but goes, you know, it's just one yard and we couldn't get it. Yeah. And so I get his frustration. And we've seen this story before throughout the season. We've seen plenty of times this year where, you know, you think, oh, you have a big offensive line, you know, great running backs, fourth and one, let's go for it. But we get stuffed, right? Um, and, yeah. and I get where, like, me, I always err on the side, typically, in most situations, you never say always, but typically, most situations, I err on the side of being aggressive, especially in a game like this where, I, like, I guess you. I, mean, I don't know if I like. I don't like the word exhibition. That's what people call these. I guess it, but I mean, whatever. But in a game like this, you know, I, I think you need to go for it there. Be aggressive. Uh, the way I'm looking at it is, when your offense has been struggling as much as we've been struggling offensively for the past month and a half, like, points are going to be tough to come by. Points are going to be at a premium for us. So when you get, and I think Kirby also knew this. At first. I mean, it ended. It was close to it, but it was going to be a defensive battle. I mean, they had a great defense right. for the Big Twelve. Um, so you didn't know how many t- how many opportunities you were going to get, and I think he also trusted our offense. I mean, I think, our defense. I, yeah, I think you're exactly. Right. I think that was his calcu- his calculus. There was like, look, yeah, like what I'm saying. Make I think makes sense in that. Well, we we struggle to score right now, so we need to try to maximize every opportunity we get inside the red zone and try to and try to put up a try to put up a six spot. But I, I see what you're saying there too. I think this is what Kirby ultimately decided on, and uh, he's the one gets paid to make these decisions. So I'll, I'll, I'll defer to him here and end up working out. So you know it's great. But uh, I think you're right in saying that. Well. It, like we just need to score points. Like when you're talking about a, a good Baylor defense, a top three Baylor defense in the Big Twelve, which I know is not known for defensive football, but still it's a good Baylor defense. Uh, when when you know you're playing a team like that and you struggle, like getting three points is something, right? Especially with the way our defense was playing, you know, three points were going to be big. So I get that. I would probably have erred on the side of being a little bit more aggressive, even if you don't get they got to go what 95 plus yards to score against your defense. So I, I probably would have gone for it, but I get what he's thinking there. I don't think I think it's a defensible decision that he made there. Uh, but he also kind of called himself out. He called himself chicken after the game, saying he should he was wanting to call the, the fake field goal there, but didn't didn't quite have the guts to call it there and called it later in the game, obviously. And it all it all worked out. But uh, I think that was huge. I also want to say a, a couple more keys to this game for me to winning this game. It's I thought we made some really big plays on defense, didn't you, Kurt? Yeah, and when I think in general too, we are just over overall aggressive, which was nice to see. Oh, absolutely. Like we, I think offensively and defensively, we came out we, – we, we tried to take the fight to them. We were aggressive in, in every way, I, other than Kirby not going for there on that fourth down. I but. mean, even in the second uh, – the third quarter when they were make, putting some drives together, we were just sitting there blitzing them every, oh, every we, day. We dialed it up all game long, especially in the second half. Yeah. Well, the, the, their offensive line has given up a lot of sacks this year. And yeah, I think I, they were like one of the top in the in the college football giving up yeah. sacks. I think they're like one, one, twelve, 112th or 117th nationally or something like that. So we obviously had identified that in game prep as as a way that we could attack this team. And uh, I mean, clearly what we were doing, we were just bringing, I mean, we were bringing guys from everywhere. We were twisting, stunning, looping, bringing guys from the secondary linebacker. Linebackers were coming all game long. Uh, and then we were just playing, we're basically manning up on the outside and saying, beat us. And they did it. They did a timer too. 
But overall, I thought our secondary really kind of answered the bell there. Uh, had a couple pass interference calls, but still, I mean, when you're consistently being mashed up against a good group of receivers, especially Denzel Mims, Denzel Mims is an NFL player, in my opinion. Um, yeah, I mean, that guy in every they've played or every game you see on TV, he usually putting up some big numbers. Yeah. He's, he's a, he's a big guy. He's a big time player. He's a big time player for them. Uh, so to be able to, I mean, really hold that team in check when you're, you're basically being put on the Island out there in the secondary, I, I thought that was big, but it was based on big plays on defense and, and crit- critical moments. You know, uh, it was zero, zero. I think we was still in the first quarter when uh, they were on our 30 yard line, they were driving, uh, but we get that interception on a, th- I think it was a third down. And actually it was a play where Nicobe Dean got beat. Nicobe Dean got beat by Ebner, the, the running back. They would like to use him in the passing he game. They beat him on the little uh, cross the angle route. route. The angle route. route. Yeah. Cross. Yep. He beat him on the angle route, but uh, we got a little, pr- I think it was Herring got some pressure on, on Brewer and forced kind of a, an early throw. And he just threw it a little bit out, out uh, in front of the hands of Ebner. And uh, we got tipped, and then Richard was there on the spot, made the play, and that was huge. That was big. In that kind of game, like, I, I know it all ended up working out in our favor. Our guys showed up ready to play and all that. But, like, if they take a 7 nothing lead early on, it's kind of like, oh, my God, here we go again, right? Um, and that could have changed yeah, the complexion of the game. Could change the complexion of the game. So that was a big play defensively. And then another another big play in the second half, uh, Aziz Ojulari, who I, who I love, man. I, I love Aziz. Uh, big sack on fourth and four from our 46. Now we were still up 19 and seven, 19 to seven at that point in the third quarter. But Baylor had come out, scored a touchdown, cut to 19 7. They were driving again. They're in our 46. Um, they were trying to gain that momentum right after half. And like with our offense, they cut to 19 14. Oh, I get nervous. Right? I might get nervous in that situation. But Aziz comes up with a huge sack, forces the fumble. We recover. Uh, it's just a beautiful play, big time moment there. So that was huge. And the other thing, and I mentioned this uh, earlier in the week. Uh, explosive plays. I think I said that was the key to the game for me is number one, us limiting their explosive plays and us trying to find a way to generate some explosive plays of our own. Because if you looked at Baylor's stats coming into the year, they were 11th nationally in plays of 20 plus yards, which is what I'm going to define as an explosive play as um, in the country. And they were number five nationally in limiting plays of 20 plus yards. They were good at getting explosive plays and good at stopping explosive explosive plays. That's one of the reasons that they were 10 and two are, are, uh, what were they? They were eleven and two coming into this season. Coming into this yeah, game. 11 and two, yeah, yeah, eleven and two. That was one of the big reasons why they were eleven and two. So I thought that was going to be a big deal for us in this game, and we actually uh, we won that battle. We outdid them there. We had four plays of twenty plus yards, not a ton, but for us, <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, especially we basically had one receiver to speak of out there, uh, great receiver, but one receiver to speak of. We still made it happen, but we uh, we had four plays of twenty plus yards offensively, and we held them to two. We held them to two. So I think that was key as well. But uh. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I want, to, I want to talk about the offense here for a few minutes. It, it was far from a dominant offensive performance. I'm not going to sit here and act like we just put up 600 yards of offense. We did not. We still only put up 380 yards of offense, 26 points. Enough, but still not dynamic. But did you see anything? And if you did, like, what did you see that you think we can build off of offensively for next year? Because that's kind of what these bowl games have really become about anyway. So did you see anything that you might, we might be able to build off of? Um, the one thing I liked is we did, I thought we did a better job and a more conscious effort trying to pull our linemen, um, especially I think with the Matt Luke era. I think one of his big things is he's not going to be more so about uh, 
just Don't a straight ahead. Him. I'm bigger than you. I'm coming right at you. I think he's going to go to want his alignment to cut down on some weight more. Um, so I think that's one thing I did notice is that I think that building on it, I think we're going to have to uh, pull guys more. I like seeing us do that. Yeah, uh, you we you saw some. I mean, we did see a lot of things that we've been, that we've been running all throughout the year. Uh, but you did see a few different uh, tweaks in there in terms of uh, our blocking schemes and how we were. And I think in general, seeing it being done by the young guys always has to be nice too. Yeah, what did you make? I was asking you that. What did you make of Jamari Salyer and Warren, Warren Erickson in their first starts? Um, right I think Salyer's the answer is the answer at right tackle. Um, I think that that position is his. Now, Cade Mays, right. I think he needs to stay inside. You could tell his footwork just was not. He's got to stay inside. So, I mean, Cade, and I will say, I want. I don't know how well this has been publicized. I don't think it hasn't really been publicized much, but I want to make sure people out there know Cade Mays has been playing really banged up all year. Um, he has not been 100%, but he's been out there just fighting. So I, I want to, when you're, when you're, I guess assessing his play uh, throughout the season, especially the last half of the season, you got to understand this guy was pretty banged up. Um, so you got to factor that in there. But I, I'm I'm totally with you. I think he's in a much like he can he can play tackle. He can play it. I think but if I he's think at he's tackle, right tackle is the place for him. I don't think left tackle is where he no, should that's be. That's not his best position. I think he, I, like I said, I think I think he can play it, but not at not at like an all American level. He's he's a more in my opinion a, a more natural guard. That's I think he's a really athletic guard. Uh, and like an average athletic tackle, left tackle at, at best. Yeah, I agree um, with that. Yeah. So like, I, and, and he had some like he gave up. A, I think one of the sacks was on him. There's another play. Uh, it was a run play. We got blown up in the back, but we kind of just like tripped over his own two feet and fell down, which happens sometimes. Um, but yeah, I think I, I'm still very high on Cade Mays. Love the guy. Love the attitude he plays out there on the offensive line. He's got some of that net nastiness. I love it. Um, just like a throwback, big, big ugly. Is what we what we used to call him. Uh, and but I think he's I think he's the, I think he's the the uh, well, depending on Ben Cleveland comes back, I think he'll be in the mix there at the left or right guard. So I think that's where he's going to play. Um, and we'll see at left tackle. That's still up in the air. But I thought Erickson played pretty well at right guard, didn't you? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, he only made one penalty. And outside of that, I thought the guy played really, really well. Um, yeah. You know, they're, especially the one thing that makes you nervous the most and when you come into these games is communication. You don't know how how they're going to communicate as because they haven't been playing well much together. And things like that, but I thought they did pretty well overall. Yeah, I, I did too. I mean, I was worried. I was, I'm like you. I was worried about just like the blown assignments, those kind of things, get a quarterback killed, all that kind of stuff. And and I give I give Erickson credit. I thought he played really well. Very clean game. Um, I I don't want to say you know he's getting like Ben Cleveland level movement there on the interior, but I thought he did a really good job and uh, certainly held. It. I think our offensive line in general, like Baylor. Like they don't protect their quarterback. Baylor was one of the top um, yeah. sack teams in the country this year, so it's yeah, not they, like they were a slack team when it came to creating pressure. Yeah, they, it's, it was a weird – I mean, they were number six nationally uh, in sacks. They averaged 3.29 sacks a game, but they couldn't protect their own quarterback. But, like, with our makeshift off the offensive line, I want to give those guys a lot of credit. Without their without their their, their coach or Sam Pittman has been there all year with them, you got a new offensive line coach coming there. And how much do you love Matt Luke coming and basically coaching right away? You don't really see that usually. The assistant coaches come in, they usually wait, right? Like, they're at practice, but they're not really coaching. This dude's out there coaching. Uh, and well, not only coaching, but I mean the guys coming out there with energy. I mean, you got to love seeing that. Oh, absolutely! You know the players. Too. I mean, you can actually see. I mean, I know the video is making the rounds on social media last night. You can see the players on the sideline kind of just watching do that. You can kind of see the smile on their face, like, dude, this is crazy. So that was awesome, man. But yeah, I think that, they definitely think it'll help recruiting too. I mean, seeing a guy like that with the energy, and you're like, okay, so you know, this is this is what we got, and I think it's got to build some excitement. Saying, hey, you know. Because Cade Mays even said, even at practice, you know, he, that he's one of those old, big uglies at heart. And 
that's just how he is, that he'll run around when big plays are made. So, sure. I mean, you can tell he's definitely an energetic guy. Yeah, absolutely. I'm real. I'm very excited. I mean, he was the guy. You know, we. I think you and I both said, like, you know, as soon as we saw Sam Pittman was leaving, that was official. He was the first guy we talked about. I was like, hey, Matt Lucas, go, go get him, go get him. I didn't know if it was going to happen or not, but thank God it did because I think we actually got a got a good one there. I think it's going to work out really, really well for us. Love Sam Pittman. I think Matt Luke's going to be a a really good hire for us. But all right, let's keep moving on here. So I'm stick with the offense for a little bit longer. Uh, we got some about George Pickens, man. We we mentioned him a little bit there, but uh, we got we got some about him a little bit more specifically here. He went off in this game tied a georgia single game reception record with 12 catches for 175 yards 11 of those in the first half uh kurt like let's just talk about this how good can this guy be before it's all said and done like can he be a jerry judy a jamar chase cd lamb type of guy as early as next year i'm not gonna go that far because i think the difference is the style of play he is um I think the guys could be really, really good. Now, don't get me wrong, but I think he's a different type player. Chase and all that, Chase and especially Judy. I mean, Judy's a big guy, but a lot of his game is finesse. Um, you know, he's just straight up just faster than everyone. But George runs really great routes, especially that one where he had two guys covering him, and he literally just runs such a great route with a yep. head fake and creates yep. a sideline for himself. I think that's going to be what separates George. Uh, here's what I would say. as I think he has potential to be every bit as good as any of those guys, whether it's Jefferson LSU, Chase LSU, Judy, C.D. Lamb, he might not put up the numbers that they do because you're right. He doesn't play in the same system. At least right now he doesn't. We don't know what's going to look what's gonna look like next year. I'm telling you right now, guys, there will be changes. I, I can't tell you exactly what it's going to look like, but I've got a pretty good authority that Kirby is uh, pretty serious about making some changes offensively. We'll see what that ends yeah, up looking like. Yeah, to me, like. I actually kind of, you know, we're, we'll probably talk about the offense, but I almost felt like it was a potential job interview for James Coley. How do you like, think? Can you show us that you're going to make a conscious effort to do what needs to be changed with this offense. Well, hold that thought because I'm going to ask you about James Coley in a second. All right, because I, I will come right back to that because uh, I think that's a, that's a big question. Uh, so, but I do think just to wrap this up real quick here on on Pickens, I I think Pickens is every bit as talented as any of those guys, Judy, Chase, Lamb. I really do. I, but I just don't know, like, the system, I don't know if you put the same numbers in our current system. But, like, if you go back and look at some of the numbers that, that these other guys had as freshmen, uh, so Pickens ended up with 49 catches, 727 yards, eight touchdowns on the year. Jerry Judy, I know I know they had some big-time receivers out of him before him. I get that. But as a freshman, 14 catches, 265. Jamar Chase last year, 23 catches, 313 yards as a true freshman. C.D. Lamb is a freshman, 46 catches, 807 yards. Pickens it had better numbers as a true freshman than all those guys except for Lamb. Had more catches than Lamb, a few less yards. But I, I think he absolutely can be and that. And you got to also think this guy did it with absolutely no not much help compared with the other guys. Yeah, I mean, Jamar Chase is a baller and had an incredible year, but you know he, he's gone for over 1,500 yards. Well, freaking Jefferson has gone for over 1,400. So what that means is you can't really double either one of them. And like Pickens was the like, – I think in the first like, – I think there might have been one uh, – two, uh, uh, two other catches by other players other than George Pickens in the first half. I think, well, I think Fromm was – was he 13 of 19 in the first half, 14 and 19? Something think, like that, yeah. Yeah, so I think he, there were three other receptions uh, in the first half by guys not named George Pickens uh, out of Fromm's 14 uh, completions. And he was still getting the job done. So to me, that that was the most eye-opening thing to me about George Pickens. Like, they know he's the only guy we have out there. Like, like legitimately, the only guy that we have that's a remote threat in the passing game. And he was still going up there making plays. Yeah, and I know they, they he only had one catch in the second half, but – I think a lot of that was like we were, I don't want to say sitting on the lead, um, but we were doing what we do. We got a lead and we were just trying to get out there with a victory. 
And uh, they did some things to try to double him, sure, whatever. Uh, but uh, still, like in the first half, they knew the ball was going to him, and he still was able to make plays. And to me, that is the sign of a great receiver, a guy that can be a true number one playmaking type guy. So I absolutely believe that he can be that. But uh, all right, so you mentioned James Coley. This might be kind of a job interview for James Coley. What did you make of his performance as a play caller with a game plan, all of the above? Well, you know, you mentioned it earlier, but I thought he had to make some in-game adjustments. I mean, your game plan really probably more than likely was to use Cook in a role as out of the backfield receiving, running. I mean, him to be your Mr. Everything, and then he goes down with that rib injury. So then you – I mean, you knew Kenny McIntosh was going to play, but you didn't think he was going to be your number two back getting – sharing the carries with Zeus, and that Zeus would eat also probably – you didn't think he'd have the load he ran with. Um, so I thought he did a good job handling that in game, going to a lot of those jet sweeps and just trying to get the ball in other people's hands, just to, you know, get less carries and less, less wear and tear on Zeus and things like that. So I thought he was creative for the most part in trying to get people open. Um, you know, like we said, he, when it wasn't working up the middle, they weren't stubborn. Like they had shown in the past. I mean, go back to South Carolina, you know, they were stacking the box and kept running swift up the middle, up the middle, wasn't doing anything, but you know, there was an effort to get it outside on the edge. When the when it wasn't there to be made up the middle, yeah, absolutely. Look, and boy, uh, and also helped too, especially in the second half. I felt like the receiver started running some better routes. I mean, you know, you and I were texting about it in the first half. You know, Jake Fromm made that bad throw in that first drive, or overthrows George just clearly. Yep. But um, there was that one play where you know he it's just you fit. You're sitting there thinking like, how did he throw such a bad pass to Simmons? Well, that's not on Simmons. And I mean, not on Fromm. It's on Simmons. And um, Kirby was pissed about that. Yeah, Kirby yells at Simmons, and he's also looking at Hinkton like, what is this kid doing? This is a senior. Um, And and I think that's the thing, too. You saw, like, when other players make plays, it also makes our offense look better overall, which we've always said. Absolutely. Of course it does. There's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. So uh, we'll have a a lot more time to talk about this, obviously, but let me just throw it out here since we brought him up. Are you on the fire James Coley train? I've never been on the fire Coley train. I think that we definitely – I don't think he's a good quarterback coach, in my opinion. Now, some of these mechanics and things may be on from himself for getting away from it. But at the same time, I think we need a more – I hate to say it, but a more qualified uh, quarterback coach. Quarterback coach. Yeah. I'm not saying that Coley's not – you know, I'm not sitting here trashing well, that. That's not, that's not what he's done, like, consistent throughout his career. That's not – Yeah, I mean, cause remember yeah. he coached wide receivers for the first time yep. in – you know, as quarterback coach last year, but I want someone who's done it their entire career. Someone that maybe even possibly played quarterback or has just been around it a long time to know all the nuances and everything that comes along with being a quarterback. I agree with that. Um, look, Coley is not perfect, but I am not on the fire James Coley training. And I know that's not the popular opinion of people probably stopping their car in the middle of traffic and like, what are you talking about? But I'm I'm not there. I, I don't think he was the biggest issue of the offense this year. Now, I will say I this. Mean, like, yeah, he didn't call the – best games all the time but like we you know I thought the second half of the year he did as good a job as could be expected with what he had to work with honestly because he was trying we were we tried to switch a lot like we changed blocking schemes like we we did a lot of things different the second half of the year that he was just trying to do something to get this offense kick-started and it's like when you're working with the confines what we had to work with the receiver position uh, it's it's a tough it's it's tough man it's it's very very difficult um, so I, I look, but I, so what I'll say is I don't think he was the, the biggest problem. I think the deficiencies at wide receiver were clearly, in my opinion, you can disagree with me, but I think in my opinion, that was the biggest issue for this offense this year, which you mm-hmm. could blame him for. Um, you know, you and I have had that discussion that 
he recruited a lot of those kids. But when it comes down to it, the offensive game, you know, play calling wasn't best at all times, but there was an effort trying to do different things. Yeah, the first half of the year, I I, I had issues with like I and I what I my my common theme throughout the year was I don't think that we maximize the skill set of our players. You guys heard me say that plenty of times. Like we were trying to run the first half of the year, we we're trying to run the same offense we run the past two years with guys that were like six three, six four at wide receiver, running the back shoulder fades over all that kind of stuff. And uh, we're trying to do that with guys like Kiaris Jackson and Demetrius Robertson uh, and Tyler Simmons. You guys are like 5'11", man. Like and then foot. even George wasn't ready to do it. And George, I mean. and, and, like George, George – the George Pickens we saw yesterday was not the George Pickens we saw all year long. He we, he showed flashes of that, but he wasn't polished. Like he was he was not running routes consistently. He didn't understand how to sit down in the zone, side adjustments, all those kind of things. He wasn't doing all those little things that, that you have to really watch. Now he could make the crazy awesome catch. But all the little polishing, polished things that you would see from a, a, a truly uh, like a number one receiver, he wasn't doing that throughout the entire season. Now we saw a different version of him yesterday, and that excites me for next year. And that's and I'm like, oh, 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 I think the life you could tell, like me. people, you know, I got tired of all those fans who are like, why are we even accepting a bid to the Sugar Bowl? Like it's just a waste of time. It's for people like George Pickens. You saw what some of those extra practices can do. Oh yeah, and from everything that I've and you heard you alluded to this after the game. One of the, his uh, interviews was like. He he, being Pickens, attacked these bowl practices. Like, just, and I'd heard that I heard I had heard that um, from people that are able to go to practice during the bowl season, uh, and how he was just going after it at practice. And um, we saw that we saw the the. And impact I think he that. grew up a lot too after that suspension. Yeah, you've seen a different yeah. George Pickens since it. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and it, yeah, so I, I look. I'm not on the fire James Coley train. I, I would like. To, I, I think he has value. I, I I think he's an outstanding recruiter. I know that's not enough to keep a guy around. But I think that that is a valuable thing to have, especially with his connections in South Florida. And I don't think he's a terrible uh, offensive mind. I don't think it's. I think he tried a lot of different things. And I think if we can upgrade a talent receiver, which looks like we're doing, we'll be young there next year. But I think we're gonna because right now we're gonna have Pickens, who I think is gonna be a number a true number one guy coming next year. And if it's one or two of those new guys coming in next year, whether it's Rosemi or Burton or whoever it's gonna end up being, Smith, Robinson, whatever, if one one or two of them can just have to be a compliment, if we can get Dominic Blaylock back healthy and just be a compliment to Pickens, it can be a different story offensively. And, and I think Coley can be fine. I, I really believe that. So and I yeah, would, I, I, would be I don't to- think they should fire him. I think that they should help him. I mean, look at Insminger. They, yeah. you know, we all know it's Brady, but everyone talks about how great Insminger is. Uh, right. But the thing is, like, it can ch- just having help and maybe a different set of eyes who has a different specialty or something can help and change things around. Yeah, and that's that's. And also, it doesn't mean that he's going to call plays. I mean, once again, people are talking about how Insminger calls plays and he's done such a better job, but we all can sit here and see that he's not calling plays. Oh, we all know that, right? And so that's what I would not be opposed to. Now, that's gonna that's gonna take um, Coley swallowing some pride. Um, but I know his family loves Athens. I know him and Kirby are tight. So, but well, that's even then, my- I mean, Kirby going into this year was open. Like he talked to Eddie Grant and things. So the idea of a co-OC had been discussed. So it's not like it's a new thing either, which helps. Well, it's it's becoming more of a common thing. Now, you don't see it all over the place, but you mean, they had it forever at Clemson. Well, I mean, especially out. now that we have where you can have that extra coach now. We'll probably talk about it later, but you'll more than likely. I mean, there will be changes, but I think you're going to see one coach specifically let go. Um, yes, I do think we're going to try to bring in a passing him coordinator, whatever title you want to give him. Like you said, some help, uh, a different perspective, uh, you know, somebody with a little different, uh, maybe a little different experience in, in what they've run throughout their career. So just look for that over the next couple of weeks for sure. But uh, uh, all right, and next up here, real quick, 
uh, I don't want to spend too much time on this because we've spent so much time on throughout the season, but it would not be a Glory UGA recap show without a conversation about Jake Fromm's performance. So pretty much a weekly thing on this show. Uh, went 20 of 30, uh, 66% completion percentage, 250 yards, two touchdowns. Would have been, um, you get would have, should have, could have, whatever. But, you know, without the, the drop touchdown pass by D-Rob, it would have been over 300 yards and three touchdowns, which was still, regardless, great game. Uh, major bounce back game for him and after a very rough stretch in the season. We all know that. Uh, this was the Jake from of old. Uh, this is the Jake from that I've been defending all year long. I know he hasn't been great the last half. I know the stats haven't been great the last half of the year. But I, I kept what I kept saying was like I, I don't think Jake Fromm forgot how to be Jake Fromm. I don't think he forgot how to play quarterback. To pull out the old cliche. Like, I still believe he was could be the guy he was for us his first two years. He just had um, a, a different. There's a different context he was working in this year. Um, he's, I thought he was still the same guy that helped us win the SEC title and came with an eyelash and winning a national title. So, so Kurt, how do you account for that, though? Heck, what was different in the Sugar Bowl compared to his last five times out when he completed less than 50% of his passes? Now, that I'm not ready to say because I was very nervous at first in that first drive, like I mentioned, when he overthrew uh, George. Um, but I think he just went back to his, you know, to just what he did best. And I think he got rid of the ball quick, didn't think about it too much. I think that's one of the big things that's you saw the because didn't yeah, think about because, it too much. That's I it. think that this year's been one of his uh his you know his biggest problems was that he was just thinking about it way too much. Yeah. Uh Jake Fromm cares, guys. Um, whether you love him or hate him, he cares. He cares about the team, he cares about winning. He wants he wants to he wants to go out there and and do right by all of us. Just trust me on that. And when the things weren't going uh, like he wanted to, you know, it wore on him. You can see in his face. I talked about during the season, like one, the, you can see like this guy has always been a, pr- a really confident guy um, throughout his career. He had a different look to him. And that's me playing armchair psychologist. I know, but it just looked different. You could just kind of get that. You got that feel. I thought in the sugar bowl, he went out there and played really loose and just let it fly. Like you said, wasn't thinking just like, you know, wasn't like oh, dwelling on things. You know, you, you missed that throw to Pickens in the first quarter. Um, but then came right back and, and, and made some like the, the touchdown pass to Pickens, absolute dime. See, that's a Jake Fromm I knew that puts yes. the ball where it needs to be. Yes, that's a Jake Fromm that threw the, a, a very similar pass to uh, who was it over there? Uh, was it Ridley uh, in the SEC title game against Bama last year? I believe uh, so. I think it, it was in the second quarter, open the third quarter. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that, that that's what I've been defending all year. And Jake was still always that guy to me, and we saw that again on Saturday or on what was a Wednesday. Uh, but it was, you know, unfortunately uh, that wasn't what we consistently saw throughout the year, but in this one game, it was back. So I think the, the, the confidence this playing loose was part of it. I also think George Pickens doing what, you know, being ready to be that number one type guy was a difference, right? Yeah. I mean, when you have a guy, cause like what, to me, that kind of just lent credence what we've been saying all year is that not having a guy that was consistently ready to do that when once Lawrence Cager went down was a major problem for our offense, which it would have been for any offense and any quarterback. And when Pickens comes out there and plays like that, it's like, oh, all of a sudden now we have a receiver that can actually create separation on his own. So Farmer doesn't have to throw into uh, like an eyeglass of a, of, of, a, of, of a window to try to get the ball to his receiver. Uh, that To me, that was a big part of what was different. I think he was a little more confident playing a little looser. And I think Pickens being out there, was a was a big deal as well. So uh, I, I I think that if he does come back, I think we'll see that version of Jake Fromm more often than not next year. But we'll talk a lot in the coming weeks about Jake Fromm and 
whether he's going to come back and and all that jazz. Kerr, uh, I do want to ask you this question. One more, one more thing about the offense. We'll move on to the defense. We got to see some extended minutes from some of our young running backs in this one, most notably Zamir White. Zeus had 92 carries on 18 yards, 5.1 yards to carry. Good performance. We also saw Kenny McIntosh some. We're obviously losing arguably our biggest playmaker on offense next year in DeAndre Swift. So my question is you for for you is this, Kurt? Did you see anyone out there last night that position at running back that can come anywhere close to being the true number one feature back that Swift was for us these past two seasons? I think you're gonna see in Zeus. I mean, to me, he's still like in that that situation of what um, Nick Chubb was going through. Uh, but I definitely think that the more he gets healthy and the more he gets his legs under him, he's going to be a monster. I mean the the, the one thing you notice about him is he's not the one that gets hit. He's the one that delivers the hit. Oh, he's so powerful. Oh, uh, he's so he's and I love Zeus, man. I, I love that he's such a great, great young man. If you guys don't know his backstory, I don't want to go into too much detail here. Maybe, that's maybe we can do that in the offseason, but go look it up. I mean, the cleft power, that whole thing. I mean, just just a great dude, man. And in the, the ACL, it's just God, I root for this kid. Um, but I, I will again try to be objective. Like I love Zeus; I think he's gonna be a really good player. Some of the best high school tape I'd seen coming out of high school in a long time before the ACL injuries. But like you said, he's still in the Nick Chubb scenario, kind of that that weird phase where he's not quite the player he was, or player he's gonna be again. But I, I, if it like that version of Zeus is a good player, I don't think that version. The, the version of Zeus we saw this year, I don't think he that's a number one like feature back. I don't. Um, I think it's a good back, but I don't think it's like a beyond like. There would be a pretty big drop off from Swift being your number one to to that version of Zeus being your number one. Uh, am I going too far that, with that? No, no, I think that's completely fair, and that's why I said it just depends if he comes back to you know like Nick yeah. Chubb. Yeah, if he can get back to what anywhere close to what he, which I still believe he can, I because his injury wasn't what Nick's was. It just happened to be you know both ACLs. Um, I, I think that he – I absolutely, absolutely think he can be that guy. I just don't – like he's got to get – he's got to get a little bit more healthy. He's got to get that burst back, that explosiveness back that he used to have, which he doesn't have right now. Um, he has the power and all that. And I do – like vision something he needs – like feel and all that kind of stuff, something he needs to work on a little bit right now. But, but you also have to factor in, as I was telling somebody in the stands last night, like this guy hasn't played a lot of football the past two years. All right. So, you know, there's still some rust. I mean, even this year, I know he played, but he didn't get a ton of carries. So I think that will come as he becomes, you know, he gets more and more touches and, you know, and he's the guy back there. I think that will come. I'm not overly concerned about that. Um, but, you know, I just, like what we saw, I, I think and I really like Kenny McIntosh. I think Kenny McIntosh has great vision. He's got good lateral agility, uh, maybe not like a, a home run speed kind of, but plenty fast enough. I think he's going to be, a, he's a really smooth athlete. I really like him a lot. But I don't know if I saw guys like, yeah, that guy is going to be able to replace Swift, no questions asked. Well, especially since you didn't see Cook out there. Exactly, exactly. We saw, what, three carries from Cook. So so I, I think we're fine if you add in Kendall Milton and Zach, oh, Zach Evans. Okay, well, that's a story. We'll talk about Zach Evans next week uh, with that recruitment. So, whew, that's a that's a roller coaster one. But, uh, yeah, I mean, like, I, I think we'll be fine at running back. I just, you know, it's just I was sitting there watching. I was like, yeah, these guys are playing well, but they're they don't look like DeAndre Swift right now. Uh, but uh, we, I think there's some context you got to add in, into that as well. All right, defensively, let's move on to the defense here for a few minutes. Uh, man, just an it, it, it's just a, another great performance, man. It is the same old story for what I maintain, and you guys can disagree with me, but what I maintain is the best Georgia defense of the past decade. I know 2012 was really good, but if you look at the numbers, this is the best Georgia defense of the past decade. It, it, it just is. Uh, certainly the best defense of the Kirby Smart era, no doubt about it. We held Baylor to two 2.2 yards per play in the first half, 295 yards overall, 14 total points, forced three turnovers, held them to 3.7 yards per play overall when they averaged 6.2 yards per play throughout the rest of the season. 
So, Kurt, very simply, how were we able to do that defensively? I mean, the main thing is we won the uh, line of scrimmage. Absolutely. That's exactly what I got here in my notes. We did. Like, we whipped them up front, did we not? We didn't. I think that was the complete, how we won. Even without Tyler Clark in the game, I mean, we we absolutely like, – I'm telling you right now, and we've talked about him throughout the year, and he was injured a little bit in the middle of the year, but he started the year strong and ended it strong really well. Devontae Wyatt is going to be a beast next year. He was a beast at the end of this year already, but he is going to be a baller next year. So, I I mean, I know Tyler Clark is a really good player for us, and we're going to miss Tyler Clark. But Devontae Wyatt, dude, that guy can play. And get Julian Rochester back again. It was, it was good to be able to see him get some more playing time. He's able to, to register with the, whole, the new four-game redshirt rule and that kind of thing. So have him back, some some depth and some experience there on the defensive line, which would be huge. And you got Trayvon Walker. I mean, look, man, we just absolutely dominated up front. Outside linebackers, I thought, played really, really well. Um, it was beautiful. Like, and you mentioned this earlier. Like, we were just aggressive, right? Yeah, I mean, they are blitzing left and right. A great game plan to attack Baylor's weaknesses, no doubt about it. Like we put, like we put our corners on an island out there, and like for the most part, they responded. There's a, I think they had one 40 yard play to to Mims, which is going to happen because that guy's a good receiver and a couple pass interferences. One I thought was really questionable, but uh, overall, they they really inched the bell there. Uh, I would like to see us like, like we got after Brewer really well. I would like to see us be able to actually get the guy on the ground a little bit more consistently. Like, we ended up with three sacks and seven tackles for loss, but there, we, we could have had a handful more because uh, we were back there a couple of times. And I mean, I love, I mean, Aziz had a beautiful sack. Adam Anderson, who I'm still, God, I'm so high on him if he could just add on a little bit more weight. But uh, I thought we were aggressive. I thought we played good, fundamental football. We played the run very well. Like they, they could not run the football. They had, they had no chance to run the football, which no one has all year. I mean, it was just, we were a dominant rush defense this year. And um, that, that made it tough on Baylor because, I mean, and they didn't really, you could tell they didn't really want to run Charlie Brewer all that much because he's run a lot for them this year. But after the concussion, they didn't feel confident with that. So I, and I get that. So that hurt them a little bit on the ground. But uh, we played aggressive, played smart, played physical. Some of those young guys got after it. Uh, so it was it was a sight to see there, man. It was beautiful. Another great performance from a, just a, a great, great Georgia defense. But let me ask you this, Curly. Like, we're going to have all offseason to talk about it, which I know that we will. But what are the chances, even with some of the guys losing, no J.R. Reed, no Tyler Clark, but what are the chances this defense is even better next year? I think you have a legitimate chance. I mean, Jermaine Johnson will more than likely be back. Uh, oh, Jermaine Johnson's Nolan, coming back, yeah. Yeah, and Nolan Smith will be back. I think Lewis Seen is just – I think he can do what uh, J.R. did and better because I think he's a better tackler. It's a very – like it, it, I was thinking about this in the game uh, – Last night I was sitting there watching. I was like, man, I really, really like Lewis Seen. I really like this guy. And he's like his physical profile is very similar to JR. Do you see what I'm saying? Like size, speed, athleticism. Like, you know, he's a very similar, like just profile athletically to what JR Reed is. Now he does not have the experience of JR Reed. And, like, I'm not sitting here saying, like, oh yeah, we're gonna be better without JR. I hate when people do like, oh yeah, JR Reed was one of the best hitters we had here in like a long time. But we're gonna be better without him. Maybe we will, but I'm not, it's really hard to sit here and predict that. But I'll say this. I don't think it's gonna be a massive drop off to you. No, I don't either. Especially if Richie comes back, because then we'll still at least have. That's Richie. a big. That's that, and that's big. If Richie doesn't come back, and we got Otis Reese, but it'd be nice to have a, at least a little, some experience back there in the secondary. Uh, or yeah, at least I think that's the same position. It's just communication wise. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that that would be huge. Uh, but I mean, if you look at we got basically every outside linebacker, now we don't know what the transfer portal is going to do. Um, but 
all those guys was Aziz, Anderson, Jermaine Johnson, Nolan Smith, who let's not forget, guys, Nolan Smith was number one uh, overall prospect in the country coming out of high school last year, and it's just beginning to barely scratch the surface. He's going to be a beast. I know we're losing Tate Crowder. And Tate, man, talk about a guy I'm just really happy for who just worked his butt off his entire career. And, and he, was a, he was a semifinalist for the Buckus Award this year. Um, so we're going to miss him, but I'm saying, man, Monty Rice has become a flat-out monster. Like, Monty Rice is a beast. And I, yeah, I, cannot, I thought he did a great job covering today. Or I mean, I, on Wednesday. Yeah, this is a guy that I, in the past, I've criticized for maybe not having that sideline sideline type speed. I either I was wrong or he just got faster. I think maybe this year we saw more of him. We haven't seen as much of him, uh, but that dude can play. All right, Monty Rice is is a flat out monster. Um, I told you guys when when he signed when you're Nate McBride. Who I still love Nate, uh, but he was the big linebacker signee that year in 2016 and I was telling people like no Monty Rice would be a better player it's gonna, and I don't always get it right but that one I mean I, you could just see it. I mean this guy he's got knows the football he's instinctive physical uh and he's 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 actually become better than I even thought he would be so he, he hopefully will be back next year but even if he does you got N'Kobe Dean uh who's flashing speed now Quay Walker uh did not play in this game but I thought he had a really good sophomore year so I'm excited about what we've got there and Mitchell Ryan Davis uh, last week's a guy that retro this year, but I think he's going to be a really good player. Chester Marshall, even uh, demons of line. We've been talking about that. going to be really good uh, at cornerback. Uh, what did you make of, so obviously we have Tyson Campbell uh, who's come back, you know, after the turf toe injury, he's kind of been rotating. I've got a three man rotation at corner, but it wasn't with DJ Daniel. He, he wasn't like DJ Daniel basically played the entire game. It was Eric Stokes that Campbell was, was replacing and like rotating in and out with, uh, not, not necessarily every job, but rotating in and out during that game. What did you make of that? The fact that it, it was Daniel that stayed on the field most of the game and not Eric Stokes. I was very surprised with that. I was um, shocked, actually. Yeah, I wasn't sure if it was an injury at first, and then I just realized that they were making a conscious effort for that. So I was kind of just, you know, not sure. Is, is it probably? I mean, we don't know, but is, is it just an example of Kirby kind of living up to his credo of like, hey, it's a competition at all times, no matter who you are in practice. You know, So he goes in the bowl practices and then in – Maybe DJ Daniel performed really well in bowl practices, and, and Stokes maybe didn't perform as well. So Campbell splits time with him. Maybe nothing shocking with them. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Was, I just find that interesting. Because Stokes has kind of been that guy all year, and even last year too. Once he got inserted in the starting lineup, and, and Daniel got beat for one long touchdown, or not touchdown, but one long pass. Uh, there was a pass interference uh, on him. I think there was one on him. One they should have called, but they didn't. I thought he played really well, but I, I was just surprised by that. I, I was. Um, but that was interesting. So it'll be a battle next year, but we're going to be good at corner, uh, especially if we can get Keely Ringo in here. So I mean, like, I do think that we have a chance to potentially have to see how things play out, but like, I wouldn't completely discount it saying that, you know, we could potentially be even better on defense next year. That's, that's, Tough to do when we were as good as we were on defense this year, but I don't think there's going to be a – at the very least, I don't think there's going to be a steep drop-off. I'll say that. But uh, all right, Curtis, is there anything we missed, man? Anything we missed on this show? Not that I can tell. All right, so I'm sure we missed something, but I just – I really literally just got in from the airport and got on here and started recording. So if we missed something, let us know about it, and uh, we will make sure to touch on that next week. But um, that's it for us here today, guys, on the Glory UJ Podcast. It's been an awesome 2019 season. Uh, of covering the Georgia Bulldogs with you, for you guys and uh, and being able to bring the show back for free again, working with Overtime Media. It's, it's just been incredible. We are just so appreciative of each and every one of you guys supporting us and sticking with us, especially all you guys that stuck with us through the, uh, the Podbean and all that kind of stuff. So thank you. We aren't going anywhere. We'll be back with recruiting talk, team talk, basketball, all that good stuff. Georgia sports, you name it, we got you covered throughout the offseason. So make sure to check back next, next week. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. And as always, go dogs.